It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Vistage podcast series. I'm Dave Nelson, a Vistage member since 2003, part of CEO Group 676 in Pittsburgh, and your podcast host. It's my great pleasure to highlight extraordinary leaders with this series. Every episode, we get many valuable ideas that we can apply in our own businesses. Today, I'm joined by Matthias Holvich. And Matthias, I know that's German, so would you say it how it's supposed to be said? Yeah, you did it actually really well. It's Matthias Holwig. Perfect. All right. And um, you uh, also carry the title SBA. What does that mean? That is actually a Dutch word for licensed architect in the Netherlands. Ah, okay, perfect. So just a little bit of background. Uh, Matthias is a registered European architect and co-founder of HWKN. As principal in charge, Matthias leads the creative design process and oversees all design development firm-wide. Under his leadership, HWKN has grown from a two-person firm to a high-design architectural office of 40-plus and growing. Among other accomplishments, Matthias has done two TEDx talks. And um, I understand you've just finished writing, although I don't think it's published yet, uh, writing a book. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I just finished writing the book, which is going to be called New Aging, Live Smarter Now to Live Better Forever. And it's actually an accumulation of six years of research and design about uh, our aging society and how architecture and urbanism can respond to it. And uh, I'm also visiting professor at the University of Pennsylvania, where I did actually a lot of that research. And uh, over time, we all realized that uh, designing spaces for our older members in society is not just enough. We actually have to communicate opportunities, what people can do in their own lives, uh, to a large mass of people so that everyone individually can actually adjust their way of uh, living, uh, adjust their houses, adjust their cities, uh, so that uh, we as kind of almost a crowdsourced Uh, kind of initiative uh, can make the big difference. Well, I'm going to have to put that uh, on my list of uh, books to read. I've got to say, you know, I did a little background research when I was preparing for this podcast. And among other things, I discovered your partner, Mark Kushner, had also done a TED Talk. And um, I watched that, and I had never really thought about this, but one of the points he makes right up front is that we humans spend in, in this modern world 90% of our time, you know, indoors, interacting with architecture. And, of course, he tells a great story about the horrible <laughs> house that he grew up in, not because, uh, uh, you know, he had a bad family or anything, but I guess the uh, bedroom and bathroom uh, for his room were connected across a uh, sort of a bridge that was exposed to the living room and the rest of the house. So uh, that's, a, that's a tough way for a young boy to grow up. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the talk is basically about um, the history of architecture and also the potential of architecture. And um, yeah, it's fascinating when you realize that we are all are constantly immersed in it and what kind of uh, responsibility but also opportunity that really is for us as architects uh, to do the right things that are on the one hand the right thing for the investor and the developer but then also for the community because these buildings are always part of a larger context and then that also goes down to really the personnel, the people who engage with the buildings, live there, work there and if you do it wrong, it can have huge impacts um, to many, many people. Yes, absolutely. And if we're spending 90% of our time, which most of us are, uh, in these buildings, that's a huge impact on our lives. So it it really reframed how I, I think about this. And I think you've already mentioned the word crowdsourcing, as did Mark, the uh, chance to interact with potential clients and get feedback from much, much, well, before the building is built. You know, that that really is changing things. I'm curious. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, go, go ahead, your mm-hmm. comments on that. And I've got a question. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also why we started uh, this website. It's called Archetizer. Uh, that is actually a second business we together had started. Uh, which is by now the largest social media platform for architectural projects, uh, really kind of empowering architecture and informing the larger public about uh, yeah, the opportunities but also the responsibilities of uh, the profession. Now, out of curiosity, how and when did you decide that you wanted to be an architect? I would start actually really quite early. Um, I wanted to always be in design, uh, and I have to admit I wanted to always design cars, uh, it's maybe something about being German and uh, enjoying the BMWs driving around everywhere in Munich. Um, but then um, I kind of realized that when you design cars, you create commercial products and you may be just part of like one part of a car and that's all that you influence. Uh, but as an architect, uh, you can actually influence uh, buildings and cities and with that uh, much more uh, kind of the way of life that uh, we as our society really shape. Yeah, so when I was uh, 16, I think I made that decision. Uh, I started to study when I was 18, uh, and uh, I'm basically architect ever since. And um, did you start HWKN straight away, or did you work for other firms first? And you know, how did you get into business? Yeah, I had actually a very fascinating uh, kind of little round trip around the world. Um, so I studied architecture in Germany. Uh, as soon as I was done with it, I actually did kind of an internship or early kind of professional experience here in New York uh, with Peter Eisenman. Uh, that was in '95, And then uh, I moved to the Netherlands, to Rotterdam, and I worked with this amazing architect, Wim Kohlhaas, from the Office for Metropolitan Architecture. And I planned to be there for one year, and it turned out that I was there for three uh, working on the Dutch Embassy in Berlin, uh, the Student Center in Chicago, and also Casa de la Musica, a concert hall in Porto. And uh, he is really the mastermind of uh, the architecture of today. Uh, so it was almost like a second education I really gained uh, within his office. And then uh, I moved to China, to Hong Kong for a year, to also help him to open up the office uh, in Asia. Uh, and then I moved to um, Switzerland for my first teaching experience uh, in Zurich, uh, then to Amsterdam for a couple of years, uh, and then I came to New York uh, almost 10 years ago, 
and uh, uh, that was through the teaching opportunity at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, but I already had met my business partner as a friend. Uh, and one day we just sat together. We didn't know exactly what to do this week. So we just decided to do a competition uh, as, a as a collaboration. And we had so much fun. And uh, it was such an amazing, inspiring process so that uh, we almost had a professional shotgun wedding. We never thought about the future. We didn't think about the past. We just sat together, created the bond, and started work. Wow, so you didn't have a uh, fully written out business plan and so I'm I'm curious uh you know being an architect is one thing being a business person is another thing. Uh did you encounter various challenges with the business side of things? Yeah, I think actually I'm curious if any architect ever writes a business plan uh when they start a company. Uh because architecture as you know it's you have to have the passion for it. Uh, because it is not really the best value proposition in terms of a future earning. Uh, and we all start with, with this kind of passion, and that's actually how we did it. We just started, we sat together, we rented a desk at uh, a, a developer who had like a desk uh, available for us, and um, we were teaching parallel. So we actually financed our lives um, just through teaching and started to do work. Uh, but um, over time, actually, uh, and that's kind of the beauty, um, with the recession, uh, we actually started Archetizer, and that needed to be a business from the first second on, uh, because we had to raise money, we had to uh, create a development team, and uh, we instantly learned from Archetizer, and we started to use actually all the things that we learned in the tech world to use in our architecture firm. Uh, and I think that is really one key to the success, so that we became very disciplined. Uh, we started to uh, develop processes, how we actually engage with clients, how we follow up with them, how we communicate our work, how we attract talent to it, how we manage our office and our expenses. So all of that actually uh, became a very interesting process that was almost in itself a design process uh, to create a uh, firm that uh, now can actually do highly innovative projects, uh, but also makes money and is able to support all of our staff. How did you actually raise money for Architizer? Um, the first round was basically family and friends. And uh, I'm very lucky that my business partner has uh, a lot of family and friends. Uh, me as a German, just being newer to New York, that would have been a real uh, honest challenge. Uh, and then the next rounds uh, were actually through angel investors. And uh, very soon, my business partner is going to go out for the next bigger round, uh, which I believe is the second round now, um, because it's a very, very prosperous and uh, future-driven business uh, that architecture actually is turning, um, architecture is turning into. Um, parallel, the architectural firm has always just grown out of its own income. Uh, so we never needed any investor, and we never, ever borrowed money. So since you've experienced uh, essentially in parallel both um, sort of the self-funded model, which I guess maybe the downside might be that uh, you're limited in your rate of growth by the rate at which you can generate uh, cash flow, and also you've experienced the uh, you know friends and family and angel uh, where you can bring in uh, more money to fuel the rocket ship, what are your perspectives on uh, the various forms of financing? Because some of the folks listening to this uh, you know, perhaps they're thinking about uh, do they continue to go the uh, 
cash flow route or do they go out and find investors? So what would be your observations and advice? Yeah, it's actually interesting to think about. I think uh, it really depends on the business. Uh, I think nobody would ever invest into an architectural firm <laughs> because uh, the, the money proposition uh, is so much based on the relationships that you can generate and the projects that you actually have to um, you have to nurture the expertise in a very consecutive fashion. Uh, like we see now, after eight years working on one of our projects, which is actually a 1,800 apartment building complex in New Jersey, and now we have the expertise to actually detail a tower that is 74 stories tall, and we have the trust from our clients because we have proven ourselves before. But I think um, in, in the kind of architecture model, um, to just start with kind of an investment uh, and, and buy in the talent and kickstart it from zero, uh, I think that, um, yeah, it's very interesting to think about it, if that would be a model. Uh, I have never seen that anywhere uh, in the architecture world. Uh, but the non-architecture is, of course, totally opposite, uh, because there it's about the speed that you have to go to market uh, because you instantly can be outdated uh, if you're not constantly on the pulse of the time. Uh, and uh, that has a whole different uh, perspective also then, of course, to the investors, uh, because there the growth rate uh, is um, uh, it, quadruple versus an architecture, which is basically very consecutive. That's a good uh, good perspective. By the way, when did you uh, discover and join Vistage? I think you're in uh, is it Vistage Key Group 736? Yeah, I, this, I, a friend of mine actually introduced me. Uh, Ron uh, brought me in for a little visit, and uh, I instantly felt home, uh, and I instantly felt uh, very kind of curious, uh, or experienced a kind of curiosity that um, uh, going deeper into some of the world of business. And uh, the beauty now, I think I'm there for one and a half years, is that uh, every time I go to one of the groups, there are pieces and bits and pieces that I can translate right away into my daily work. Uh, so, uh, so far, it has been a really spectacular experience. Fabulous. So I've, I've been part of Vistage for uh, 12 years now. And you know, I love the fact that one day a month you, you know, get out of your business and instead of working in your business, you're working on your business with a lot of other smart business people and these world-class speakers and chairs and so on. It's uh, it's really a chance to learn at a rate that exceeds what you could learn if you're just doing it by yourself. Yes, absolutely. And of course, you also make friends and you can always tap into that network uh, if you even have like in-between questions. Uh, that may appear uh, within a week. Perfect. So you've been on a journey becoming an architect, becoming a business person. Um, what advice would you offer to uh, other business people, thinking about maybe some of the best advice you got along the way? Um, what would you say to uh, folks listening today that would help them in their business? <laughs> I, I think in, in Germany, I think the advice was always don't do this and don't do that, and don't do that. And uh, my advantage was that I never listened uh, because I always, people told me, you're not good in English, uh, don't even try. And I immediately moved to New York and I said, like, I'm going to prove you guys wrong. Uh, I will learn the language. And by now, I mean, I still have my accent, but uh, so far, so good. Um, 
And I think that is something uh, which is different in Europe uh, than, of course, in, in the U.S. I think people are much more enthusiastic here and they give you, um, the, the, they, they give you the support uh, to do things that may be outside of the realm what you're supposed to do. And I think that is exactly the, uh, my, my mantra now. It's basically just break the rules. Uh, break with the things that uh, you believe are the barriers or the boundaries or the things that you should do. Uh, and for our firm in architecture, yeah, we started a social media company, um, which normally is something nobody would kind of advise you uh, because it's a totally different business. Uh, we also just started to write a book right, about aging. And uh, it's not all logical. It's a very clear uh, strategy where you would say that makes sense to really grow the business in the most strategic fashion. But it turned out it actually has always been the perfect hybrid of experiences that opened amazing doors for us that benefited, again, the architectural firm in itself. So I think that is my advice. I think uh, go with your curiosity and uh, always build on excellence uh, because that, in the end, is really what matters. Yeah, you're sounding a lot like Steve Jobs right now, that with uh, Break the Rules. <laughs> so has anything surprised you about uh, being in charge of a, a firm and a bunch of other people? We said 40-plus and growing. Yeah, I think when you uh, start to think about that, you're kind of the boss. Uh, you believe, you, it sounds like that you have ultimate freedom, uh, but in the end you actually have not because um, as uh, – more as bigger the company uh, becomes, as more I actually work for everyone in the company, uh, which I actually enjoy a lot. But that is also really our um, our ideology. Uh, Mark and I we don't present ourselves as uh, the bosses. We are part of a team, uh, and we really kind of try to empower everyone and support everyone to have an amazing time, a great experience and make as much money as we can afford, and uh, do projects uh, that are relevant and that are interesting. Uh, so it's uh, something that I think it's a different kind of perspective uh, that I had to become uh, or that I had to experience, um, where, yeah, first I thought, like, yeah, when you're the boss, you can do exactly what you want, uh, but um, it's actually much more of a collective experience than an individual one. Interesting. You remind me that... Um some people, when they, uh, you know, draw the organization chart or think about it, they, you know, put themselves as the owner at the top and then a giant pyramid of people below. And and yet you flip that. The pyramid's upside down. So you're at the bottom supporting all those other people who, uh, of course, uh, that's where the, the biggest leverage is in the organization. So I, I like your philosophy. Yeah, and we also, we always try to hire people who know more than we do. Uh, and that is fantastic because we always learn from everyone that uh, works for us. And uh, with that, actually, the company just becomes smarter than ourselves. Uh, and that, of course, is the goal. Fabulous. So um, have you had a, a great mentor along the way or, or other than uh, Vistage, of course? Uh, how, what, what has really helped you uh, succeed in these two businesses? Yes, I think, um, I mean, that, that is actually, um, like there's so many key people uh, who I know that um, they played a fundamental role in, in the development. Uh, starting, of course, with uh, my family, um, 
where my father was always very strong about maximizing my education. Um, my mother, who brought in, of course, the personal touch of sometimes readjusting some of my decisions and just going more with her heart. Then there was my grandmother, who was very international-driven, so she triggered my curiosity to live outside of Germany. And then my early teachers, um, who saw something in my work uh, that made them really believe in something that uh, would go above and beyond what they had done in their own careers, uh, and they supported me right away on that level. Uh, and then um, even like... Um, from the University of Pennsylvania, um, the chair at the time, uh, Detlef, who had passed away a couple of years ago, uh, he called me out of the blue, invited me to teach at Penn, uh, and that opened up all the kinds of different doors. Yeah, so I think there's like an amazing network uh, of uh, people um, who I'm very close in touch with uh, that uh, guide, uh, but mostly uh, they also really inspire. Uh, and I think that is something which I truly enjoy, uh, that there's always that kind of uh, positive uh, support uh, that uh, allows me in my life to go a more risky uh, path uh, than um, I would normally do. Well, you get one chance at it. So uh, I, I like your uh, uh, aggressiveness and entrepreneurial uh, spirit, given uh, uh, what you said about the sort of the attitude in in Germany. I want to come back around to um, you've mentioned uh, the your work as a uh, as a, a professor, a teacher. You know, I've I've heard a number of successful entrepreneurs that end up. In fact, I talked to one earlier today. They end up as uh, you know adjunct professors at their local university, or maybe just a guest lecturer occasionally. You know, I myself have done a guest lecture at Columbia or at uh, Carnegie Mellon, uh, do you feel like you um, gain something that helps you in business? Is there a reason you're doing it, or is it really just a chance to give back? What's your perspective on on teaching, uh, You know, especially when you've got to be pretty busy running a couple of businesses there? Yeah, I think teaching is magical uh, because um, it is actually, uh, I mean, I hope that I teach my students something, but I learn so much from them. Uh, because there is that uh, the kind of answering some of the questions uh, that I raise, uh, where they come up with answers which I would have never expected, and uh, it is really an engine of innovation and an engine of reseeing the world around us with fresh eyes. And uh, I think that is uh, an amazing advantage uh, and another. Uh, amazing opportunity uh, to add into um, into life, and um, then there's of course also the opportunity that um, uh, the people you teach uh, could become uh, part of your company. Uh, so there are actually many of my former students who have joined us, and uh, actually my head designer here at the firm, uh, he was our first hire, and he's still with us, and he was uh, one of my best students. Uh, so that is also a great advantage, of course. That's a fantastic and very motivational answer, and, and you reminded me, uh, I have a friend who was very successful in almost a dozen businesses, and um, he's since passed on, but uh, he also uh, became a um, professor at one of our schools in Pittsburgh, and uh, of course he always got to see who were the best students, and then he would go act after proactively hire those, and so he built one heck of a team. Uh, just one more advantage, I guess, of uh, uh, of the 
participation with a local uh, college or university. Absolutely. Well, let's see. I think those are my key questions, but let me just uh, throw out an open-ended one. I don't usually do this, but is there something that uh, we didn't get a chance to uh, talk about today that you think might be uh, valuable for folks to know, either about uh, business, business processes, or uh, the importance and place of architecture in our lives? Yes, absolutely. There's actually something which uh, I'm... uh, thinking about it just in terms of being an architect uh, with uh, designing buildings, uh, which is so different uh, than any other product uh, that you would normally bring to market uh, because you design it for a developer and uh, you introduce a lot of your own creativity, uh, but then it's also given away and you lose uh, parts of control. And uh, there's also a other level of responsibility that I don't believe you have in other many other businesses, uh, which is basically a social responsibility of the buildings themselves towards the community and uh, the context. And um, what we're doing is that actually every one of the buildings first has to actually answer to the bigger picture of what the building is about, and second, uh, towards the financial and strategic demands from our clients. Uh, but the beauty of today is what we're seeing that actually these ambitions started to align. Uh, we see that actually our clients want the buildings to be more social. They want the buildings to be more beautiful. They want the buildings to become billboards that are bigger than any kind of campaign because the visual attributes of a building become an emotional a signifier for people to connect to, uh, to take a selfie with and put it into the social media. So there's something which I find really fascinating uh, where our paradigms are shifting, uh, our society is changing, uh, that actually architecture has now a really beautiful, powerful central role uh, within that that is not just about profit, that is also about something else uh, that's reshaping our society. And, um, yeah, somehow I cannot really put my head exactly around that uh, fact in terms of like a business model, uh, but there's a really underlining added value uh, that's now coming to play. And uh, we're very curious now about to explore that further and uh, use it as a tool within our design process. Fabulous, which then reminds me, again, I'll just recommend for anyone listening to this podcast that the next step is you go find Mark Kushner on uh, TED and uh, watch his 18-minute TED Talk because it really plays to uh, many of those key ideas. Uh, Matthias, this has been fabulous. Thanks so much for joining us on the Vistage podcast today. Thank you so much. It was an honor and really fun. Folks, we've uh, been uh, talking about architecture and business, uh, Dave Nelson and Matthias Holvich. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about Vistage, please check out Vistage.com. It's a great way to take your business to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vistage podcast series. We hope these ideas help you accelerate your own business. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.